I mean, we all have vision. We all know what we like, what feels good to us, what looks good. But if you haven't learned the craft, you can't necessarily execute that or you don't know why you're executing it. And then that's when, you know, the craftsmen come back in favor. And so that's when the gaffers get busy again. And it's like, oh, there's a reason why you have a team. There's a reason why you bring all this junk with you. I can't just do it with a one by LED panel. Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we talk about careers in film. Today I'm talking with gaffer Mark Markley. When my friend told me, actually texted me Mark's name, I thought he was joking for a second, but his name really is Mark Markley, just like the first name again, but with Lee added to the end, as though it were an adverb. I did not know Mark before this interview, and it was really a treat to get to know him and to really learn more about his perspective. One thing that I find really interesting about Mark is that he is uh, always looking for the most efficient way to do things. He designs a lot of custom little kits and has specialized ways of doing stuff. He's specialized systems for traveling on airplanes and so on and with gear that you can actually haul with you and if you're doing grip and electric kinds of work uh, that can be really a big challenge i think you'll really enjoy today's episode especially if you're interested in i would say both career things as well as uh, lighting grip and electric type of stuff so anyway let's go ahead and jump right into it Mark, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with me and talk about film here in Chicago. I just wanted to tell you the story of how I got connected with you. One of my good friends, Brian Fowler, who's uh, from, from Tenet, well, I've known him since I was a teenager, actually. Okay. And we've worked together on many projects over the years. And uh, I saw, it was either his Instagram or his Facebook, he posted a, a shot out the window of an airplane, that, and it said, goodbye Chicago, and it was a picture of the Chicago skyline out the window of, of a plane, and uh, I texted him right away, and I said, hey, I'm heading to Chicago, like, I'm assuming you were there for a shoot, can you recommend somebody <laughs> for my podcast? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, and he sent me your contact <laughs> info. And uh, so, you know, we'd never met before in our lives, and uh, and so it's really a pleasure. I, I drove up from Tennessee yesterday, and now here I am sitting sitting outside your uh, your G and E, uh, <laughs> my little empire. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for for taking the time. Um, Thanks for your interest. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I guess to get things rolling, can can you tell me? what your early career interests were and how that led you into being involved with uh, film and video production. I was, you know, probably like everyone, you know, a little unfocused as a, as a teen. And, but I, I'd say my earliest interest was in still photography hmm. and um, probably the strongest focus was on photojournalism. Okay. So I had an early draw to that. And, you know, I think it was whatever, the concept of telling stories and, you know, while still learning the craft of photography. But that was my sort of initial unguided path. The unguided part being the, the thing. So I'm, I'm wandering, no direction, nobody's saying, oh, you should do this, you should yeah. do this. 
And but uh, you know the long story short is it's a it was a Frederick Wiseman film I saw on public television. Okay. And that really clicked with me. And somehow the idea of, of it's like, oh, you can tell stories in motion as well. And Wiseman in particular, this, you know, kind of non-narrative, just, just letting the story tell itself. I just, you know, became really attracted to that. And So that was a documentary? Yes. Okay. So photo, photojournalism to documentary. Yes. Yeah. So I still to this day consider them pretty related but different i don't know what do you want to call sure. it different branches of the mm -hmm. same tree maybe yeah for sure how old were you at that time uh, that was sh shortly out of high school because i was just kind of drifting so you're around 20 20 around not, 20, probably yeah. not even yeah and uh uh i had a job with minolta camera as a camera repair thing just because oh, it was okay. camera related yeah I got that right out of high school. Uh, nobody was directing me to go to college, either from school or the family, or, you know, that just kind of wasn't on the table. So after seeing the Wiseman film, it's like, well, you know, the woman I was dating at the time, she's like, well, why don't you look at taking a film class or something at the community okay. college? And took a class or two and wound up getting a job at a studio so i didn't finish anything what kind of a studio it was uh bell laboratories their oh, internal okay. video department so i kind of bell like the uh, helicopter like the phone company okay uh, okay right right technology all that and you know so i was kind of the studio grunt or had the run of the place yeah which gave me kind of an immersive touching learning experience what were they shooting at that time i guess you know the entree to corporate quote-unquote video was that so, so it'd be instructional you know sometimes it was straight as guys giving lectures about okay. unix and recording that but at other times we we would do you know again the documentary that makes my eyes spark yeah we would document uh installations of new phone switching systems so we travel around the country and um, just kind of document the process as this physical thing was going on and they would switch over phone offices and they would do these live cuts, but they would basically float new phone switches in on air pallets huh. and have everything kind of co-cabled and at like, you know, one in the morning, they would throw the switch to move to the new machine and then dismantle the old thing and we would just document that for interesting their prosperity or, so was the, or, posterity posterity yeah that's the so, word. thank you so it wasn't uh it was just to document what they'd done it was all like. yeah internal and you know so other engineers could you know review what went right went went wrong are you shooting three-quarter inch that was yes that was umatic three-quarter inch you know ikigami yeah. hl79 and I was usually, you know, I started out as audio uh, and carrying the Sony deck, you know, until the... Yeah, was it a separate camera and deck at yeah, that time? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, when the uh, DP director got tired, that's when I'd get my first taste of shooting. And 
so somebody you reported to retired? No, no, no. no, no. When they, oh, when they you know, got tired. When they got tired. I thought you said retired. retired. No, okay. no. Gotcha. So, As, so you know, yeah, we'd the, be doing these things for multiple the, days. And, <laughs> right. The equipment was so heavy. They're like, okay, I'm right. tired. It's like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm done. And so I would just get to explore and so it was a camera on one shoulder and a and the and deck, deck on, the, on other. the other i mean you know from a strap yeah yeah anybody yeah. who's trying to visualize this who didn't live during that era <laughs> but um my dad was a news photographer and and his first setup was a um i think it was an ikigami with a sony uh i think it was a sony three-quarter inch anyway yes but it was remember a big multi-pin like din style connector that went between the camera and the recorder and uh yeah everything was very large and heavy for sure it's a different world these days his channel was like the most stingy for buying new equipment and so they were always sort of the running joke like he was the cameraman he'd work with a reporter they'd show up at something the other channels would be there and like his deck would eat the tape, you know, he, the, the top would pop up and, you know, there's three quarter inch tape just like spooled out everywhere coming out of the heads and everything. Finally, they upgraded like the own. They missed some sporting event that the owner of the station cared a lot about. And that finally. That got, was that released the uh, money back. Yeah, they invested millions of dollars and upgraded a Betacam SP stuff like all the way across the board. Yeah, anyway, I digress. I feel like I have some baseline sense of what you do just because I saw your facility here. Can you tell us what a gaffer is and what does your day look like? Ah, well, the gaffer to me works in conjunction with the director of photography to execute his vision, their vision, the DP and the director's vision. Um but dealing more with the hands-on and the craft and how to execute it, you know, specifically with lighting, with with lighting mm-hmm. in general, yeah. uh, and you know, so it's like I'm looking for information like broad strokes. It's like you know, do we want this to be more dramatic looking or you know flatter or more up, you know? But it's like, what's the movement? And you know, do we want the source to come from left or right? Is there there's sometimes there's unspoken reasons, but I try to take that information and then execute it based on whatever package we have. You mm, know, what's an unspoken reason? I'm- um, well, you know, I always like to say I wasn't at the meeting. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so somebody, you know, they may, you know, you know during this we're going to put up some graphics on frame right, so we want to wait, you know, the people to frame oh, left. And you know, and they don't tell you that, right? I, you know, I don't necessarily know all those things, but they're just like, well, he's going to stand over here, and it like may not make visual sense to me, but they've got a reason. So you know, based on that, it's like you know, how do we want to light it, and how do we do it, you know, most efficiently? And um, I'm also. Part of that is weighing how the day goes. It's like, you know, do we have enough gear to keep and crew to keep pre-lighting and moving and advancing? Or do we keep our focus on this set, finish it, move on? And every job is different. Everyone has a different approach to, to how they want to tackle it. And I guess I look at it, you know, for me, I'm, I'm there to kind of interpret it and then execute it and... 
sometimes I'm on my own on the small jobs, uh, yeah. larger ones. I have a crew, so then it's, you know, time management for the crew and, you know, again, try to keep things moving, keep things leapfrogging. How do I divide folks up? It's like, you know, all right, I know these two guys can broom that set when we're done and we'll use that gear to prep this so it's broom that set meaning uh clean it up yeah clean it up uh, finish take it up down all the lights get and, the gear yeah. down <laughs> yeah move the furniture back restore the room things like that words like typical are always loaded because you know what truly is typical but can you describe what a common day might be like for you during production i tend to specialize in smaller type jobs so again whether it's a corporate image piece or i have been doing a lot of documentary work which is some consider an oxymoron uh lighting a documentary that goes through waves as well but but in interviews it's common to light interviews yes, in a documentary yes certainly. but um even you know there's there's certain dps i work with and projects where you know it might be very minimal but we'll still light for the b-roll mm. and we'll you know whether it's turning over headlights out or let's open these windows let's close okay, those yeah. it could be that simple mm -hmm. but we're still taking control of the situation beadboard and or bounces right some sort, you yeah. know it might be a little battery light stick and we're going to float with them but these are all choices that get made um as to a typical day they usually start early everyone yeah. likes to start early how early you know, it's not unusual to be getting up at three thirty or four. Oh wow, that's very um, early. In, in Chicago here, the the you know traffic is nasty, as I'm sure a lot of places are. I know Nashville is too, and L.A. obviously. But uh, I live out in the western suburbs, so I'm about thirty forty miles west of the city. So if the job is in the city, you know, I'm leaving two hours at least to make sure that I'm there on time. So that's how the day starts, you know, half hour, hour to get my eyes open and showered and um, whatever that commute is. It usually means getting there early and sitting, but rather uh, if you're not early, you're late, as they like to say. Right. <laughs> you know, the day begins. If, if you're lucky and we're able to scout before, you have an idea what are, you're going to Are you able to. to use that waiting time for anything? Um either a 10 minute cat nap or uh checking emails yeah. or just you know maybe going over notes a lot a lot of times if it's if i know that i'm in the right place and i know where i'm loading in i'll just get started we'll get the carts out and we'll start putting carts together again just to get that jump on because no matter how much time you're given it seems like there's always something that wants to eat it up so if if I can help the client by being ready to roll in at seven o'clock or whenever we're getting let in. Is that a common call time? Yeah, it can't be. Yeah. Six. And you know, it, it depends. Yeah. We had a six o'clock one the other day. What do you have? You have, you're on set tomorrow, right? Uh, yes. I'm still waiting to hear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what time do you usually get call time? Um, usually not early enough it, yeah. that is a, a peeve of mine it seems like the bigger the job uh like a commercial 
bigger the crew, the, the later they wait to get a call sheet out. Again, if it's going to be a six o'clock call and I'm going to get up at three o'clock or something, I'd like to get to bed early. So I don't yeah. appreciate when the call sheet doesn't come till nine o'clock. Right. <laughs> okay. But, so you're, you're getting, uh, loaded, loaded in and everything. Sorry, I, I diverted you. So no. we're just getting started with the actual, um, work of the day. So we, you know, load in, um, you got to kind of find out if you're going to be in one spot or if you're going to be on the move through a building or sometimes there's physical location moves, you know, so we might be here for a few hours, do an interview or do, you know, and then it's load up and move to another building. So you try to get the layout of what you're facing as far as that goes. Do you usually have a, a shot list? Not often enough, or again, even it's something you'd like, but you don't it's, always it's, get. Yeah, and and quite honestly, even when it's there, it tends to to vary. Even sure. you know the most organized people, but it it is nice to have an idea of of what we're tackling because on the micro level with me, you know that might base how much gear I pull out for the first setup. If I know this is a five minute thing, and at you know, eight o'clock, they're expecting us down the hall somewhere else. I'm probably going to try to keep it as simple as possible. Again, these are one of the things you, 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 that I'll try to make part of my day is keeping an eye on the clock and the schedule. And even though it's out of my hands and if they decide to let the interview run long or whatever, I just know that that's just going to be on us to, you know, they're not going to necessarily extend our time 20 minutes to make that move. Oh, we we just see. need to kind of make it happen. So I often refer to like three level chess. You're always, you know, this is the picture, but you're watching the before you're watching the after you're watching the after after and, and just trying to keep a handle on it all. So you're trying to look a step ahead and clean up from a step behind and maybe look two steps ahead too. Right. And then also answer the, uh, the inquiries about tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or next week even. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. How many, uh, like how much gear often, like are you, you have carts that, that you're, that you're, uh, working off of. Yes. Um, uh, how, how much, how much stuff, how many hands is common? I primarily run uh, what we call like one-ton van packages. Okay. And there's more and more out there as equipment has gotten smaller and lighter, but that's always kind of been my world. I've always tried to contain it in that, so it's something that in the crunch I can deal with myself, but it's always preferable to have at least one grip with me. Um, you know, we did a medical thing last week and i think i had four grips with me they okay. wanted to make sure we had enough personnel and that was more of a three ton package maybe folks that are listening don't know what a one ton versus a three ton kind of package is can you give us a visual i i kind of have my own spin on it too because I, I travel a lot and what i found is everyone has a different version in their head of what a one ton carries and what a three ton carries and but 
in my case, my wonton, I've recently just switched uh, primarily to LED units, mm -hmm. uh, which has kind of been like a long coming dream. So I have large Fresnels. I'd still love to see them get smaller, but they have the output of like a 1200 watt HMI. Yeah. And they're only drawing three, four amps. Wow. Yeah. Instead, you know, so it makes moving around faster and blah, blah, blah. But the the one ton package will have several of those units, several Kino flow or light map type units. So it's a mixture of hard and soft lights, you know, maybe 10 or 12 C stands. And this is what would go on just to, to give a visual for for folks. This is uh, the the amount of grip and electric gear that would fit like on a uh, full size van. Yes, like, like a, a cargo van. Cargo. Yeah. Van. yeah. Yes. Exactly. And that's kind of where I've based my loads over the years, and they've evolved. You know, you find the whatever light is working for you now, and you'll maybe change that or. You know, every every job, uh, you know, to this day, I still come back, and I'm weighing out. Well, what did we use today? What okay. did we not use today? I see. Yeah. What did I wish I had? And you, you just can't be ready for everything. You can try, and then that's where the one ton, three ton, five ton, ten ton. There's there's no industry standard, but it's an increase in gear which in theory lets you react to whatever the need of the moment is. And three and five ton, those are like box trucks, right? Yes. Like kind like, of straight box delivery truck, you know, maybe a 20 foot box. Yeah. Like might a, be a five ton. Okay. Yeah. Three ton might be a 16 foot. And, y yes. And, okay. Yes. And then a 10 ton, is that a tractor trailer or? Um, I think you, I think there's still some 10 tons that are, just straight boxes box trucks. yeah but yes as you get into features then you start getting into tractor trailer rigs and you know there'll be one just of grip equipment no lights no electric there'll be another one you know for cabling and there'll be another one you know just of lights and um you know generator trucks and it just goes on and on but right generally that's that's uh a little out of my circle gotcha <laughs> So let's see. To summarize, it sounds like uh, well, okay. You got you get up at three three thirty. Call was six or seven. Uh, when's wrap? The days are usually ten hours on site. Sometimes you're lucky and we can wrap up a little early and everyone's fine and you know. But your day still isn't done. You still have that drive home and right. maybe back at the shop if you've got a different project. You know, you're at the shop changing loads or charging some batteries or you know so that goes on but uh you know it's basically a 10-hour day and then it's over time after that but they can be 12 14-hour days on site and then yeah. you're still dealing with you know the commute the commute and prep and feeding the dogs when you get home <laughs> right you know we sort of got into getting out and getting loaded thinking ahead all that stuff but what has to be done at the end of the day before you actually leave location well inventory is a running part of the day but i like to try to keep on top of things as the day goes so at the end of the day when it's 10 o'clock at night and everyone's tired and stupid and you're not <laughs> you know leaving not only essential and you know whether it's 
a six dollar clamp or a, you know a two thousand dollar light that none of that's left behind and also for me and i'm sure all the other guys it's it's i always treat locations like we're guests yes i want to be invited back i i don't want anything to reflect bad on my client so besides the obvious not breaking things while you're there and careening through carrying stands and whatnot it's uh you know cleaning up after yourselves and you know if you move the furniture the furniture gets moved back you know floors get wiped up if needed you know hopefully there's pas to kind of deal with some of that stuff while you're actually loading the truck but you know i'm always going back in and doing what we call the idiot walk you mm-hmm. you walk around and you're looking up and down and all around see what was left behind so what was moved it was like oh that table wasn't there they pulled that out of you know just looking for little things that again when makes the location folks whether it's a homeowner or uh you know the client's client's office whatever it is just making sure everyone's happy and make it look like you weren't there you mentioned looking up i'm curious uh one of the one of my friends who who's a grip he says good grips look high have you heard that before i have not but i you know totally get it yeah it's it's uh whether it's stepping yourself on a ladder into a ceiling fan because you weren't looking <laughs> yeah i know someone who's done that that gets messy uh <laughs> yeah but or you know raising the stand or again in the commotion of uh you know you got six people in a small room trying to do their individual jobs so everyone's carrying something and and it's this dance around and and while you're doing that it's very easy especially for us anything on a stand it's it's long it's sticking out behind you you know oh did i hit the wall did i hit a painting did i yeah you know even if it's as subtle as just buffing some paint you don't want it to happen and you just have to have like a third eye open all the time watching behind you above you if if you uh visit a film set you might hear people say points Ah, yeah. What's that mean? Uh, it usually is in reference to somebody's moving something over their shoulder. So a stand. Imagine throwing a stand, a heavy stand over your shoulder, and now you've got three leg points sticking out. Yeah. And you're trying to again move your way through this little circus crowd. Right. And it's like it's a heads up. I can't make this smaller, or you know, it could be a table, it could be whatever. But the point is point. Uh, (laughs) is like heads heads up you know here we come you know let's try not to get hurt uh a a paraphrase might be get out of the way or you're gonna get hurt (laughs) or as someone used to work with me his phrase was mover bleed (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've heard hot points too hot points yeah yeah which i guess uh at least i always assumed had to do with lights that were still hot like that were that had just that's how i would take it Mm -hmm. yes Uh, what do you think are some personality traits that are necessary or helpful to being a good gaffer or working generally in the G&E or grip and electric team? I'm not, uh, I guess I haven't thought about what's best. I mean, I'm still learning, you know, who I am (laughs) and, and what I bring to the table, but uh just meeting all the characters in this business everyone does have different personalities and so i i can't say that i've thought 
that much about you know as a gaffer specifically but i know like i look at my team of grips yeah and they're each individuals and you know i know that there's jobs that you know this guy'd be better on or she'd be better on this one you know just from personality types or what you know or again trying to weigh where we're going or who the client is you know so how much patience a person has i guess i guess as far to me any 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 crew chief i think a big asset is patience because no matter how well planned something is always going to go off and you know i've coming up i've worked for guys that were hotheads and had that reputation and you know i could see the effect sometimes that the client would it doesn't matter how great a craftsman you are if you're going off all the time you're going to be less likely to be called it's at some point somebody's going to you know the the bottom line is you're putting a bunch of people in a small confined thing trying to execute something yeah and the better everyone gets along the better everyone gets along (laughs) yeah well production tends to put people in tight proximity with each other for long periods of time yes so so what sounds like what you're saying is that uh if if people enjoy being around you it's going to help most definitely (laughs) yeah if if yeah if you want to give some career advice and this is probably for any business it's yeah. like if but especially as as a freelancer where you know you're starting over every day yeah um that that is part of it it's like yeah as a, you know as a freelancer if you if you have a salaried position with a corporation you are essentially at that point by default you're hired until they fire you right yes. so the path of least resistance is actually to continue working until somebody finally decides okay this person needs to be let go whereas as freelance it's really the opposite you are not working until somebody calls you for the next project exactly so nobody really has to fire you to not work with you anymore right your phone just stops ringing (laughs) right so um so you know being agreeable or getting along that's obviously part of it but like what does, what makes somebody, you know, how do you keep the phone ringing? Like, uh, what what makes somebody agreeable? I guess. Like, what what goes into that? Well, I th- I, th- I think this is kind of different for every position, but on the set there is like a hierarchy, hmm. and and you know, the director wants to deal with the DP, the DP wants to deal with the gaffer. And, you know, and that interaction can broaden based on people's personalities, but sometimes they just want to keep the focus. So if the director's being distracted by something one of my grips is doing, then that becomes a problem. So it's, you know, I think it's just more of a matter of fitting into whatever the room calls for. There's, There's some sets that are relaxed and a little ruckus and yeah everyone's joking and having fun and it's a big family and that's cool and then there's other times where it's like it's a it's a quiet set and and that might be determined again on you know the way the director wants to work it could be the subject matter it could be the place we're at you know 
so so i think the 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 biggest thing is just being attuned to what today's situation is yeah you know so it sounded like part of what you were saying was stay in your lane yes yeah don't be drawing attention to you needlessly you know right it's like if you got an issue or you know if you're crabby about lunch don't be making a scene about that you know tell me and it's like you know i'll send you know go we'll deal with it you know or whatever but it's it's doesn't need to be somebody else's problem we're all there together but again you know read that room there are some yeah. that were everyone's cozy and family and right. needling each other and you know if that's the day that's great so but, s situational awareness is that's yeah yeah that just summed up 10 minutes of yabby yabba <laughs> no 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 that's guy well i i think i'm just if if you just said situational awareness we wouldn't have gotten we the wouldn't have much of a podcast yeah. right, right. <laughs> but yeah just like knowing when uh when this is appropriate or when that is appropriate and judging the the mood of the set and the content of the scene and all of that stuff yeah i remember one time i was we were working on a, a scene that was, um, it was taking a lot of, it was like a, a quiet and intense scene and there was a bunch of really um, specifically timed focus work and so on that, that I was having to give like cues based on reading a script like over a walkie and uh, like between takes or something I remember one of my favorite people in the world, uh, uh, he was working as an AC on the project and he was sort of cutting up over something and I, I caught his eye and i gave him the stink eye because you know it's like this is not there's a time and a place for what you're doing that yeah. time and place is not right now <laughs> uh but yeah just sort of, yeah knowing when when to do that okay so um you work as a as a freelancer but you also rent gear right well, so there are two parts of your business right or no te technically no i'm not okay. a rental house um like when you you showed up i was packing loading a second truck for we had two simultaneous jobs going on um but i in no way try to compete with the rental houses it, this is just taking care of my clients so in this case we we had a job for wednesday and thursday and then another client called wanted the same days so i'm sending one of my guys out with another package of gear to take care of it so it's client managed so so you, so you're not renting gear out no that you're not going out with but you still are renting gear is still a big part of what you do it's a, 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 yeah uh, to, like, to some extent I, mean, I consider it like there's there's a there's a cluster of us that live out west and you know we're all quote-unquote competing gaffers we all have our own clients but we also try to help each other out it's like oh i can't take care of you know my client can you you know can you fill in for me can you use your truck or you know can you use my truck because of this in or, or it's looking to exchange small parts oh i just need a thing to save themselves a trip into the city for uh you know two extra clamps or so i don't really consider it a lighting business it, or you know a rental business it's more just kind of doing favors for each other to try to keep us all doing our own thing yes and i hear you but i i think 
you are renting to your clients, though. Yes. So yes. when you send an invoice, yes, you're not just charging for labor. Correct. Because it is, you yeah. have a significant amount it's, it's of It's the gear. toolbox as yeah. well. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. As like the world's worst businessman, it's when I when I started buying gear years ago. My whole premise was, uh, it was just about it was just about making me more valuable for the client to call. It's like, oh, he has his own package that'll be convenient, and that was the only intention. And to this day. You know, I probably lose money every year on equipment. Mm. You, you see the overhead I have there, yeah, and that's just storing stuff. And probably seventy percent of that might work once a year. Oh, wow. on on quirky little things. It's like, oh, you know, we we had some weird job that you know I needed these like strip lights for, and I justified it. it's like, all right, well, we'll buy it for that, and then we'll have it, and you use it the one time, and now you're paying for a warehouse to store all this baloney in and it's you know whereas if i ran and you know so that's why i really kind of define the difference it's i consider all the equipment i have is just sort of being my toolbox and it's like what do we need to do today you know and the and the the van that's built out is is the core of it i know i can do like 90 percent of what somebody's going to throw at me with that but then i have these extra building blocks it's like oh you know this might be helpful here or i went and scouted the location and there's all these little hallways we're gonna do we we should you know we'll need a bunch of little extra things but it's not necessarily you know why tie up a 200 dollar stand and a and a 500 dollar light to like light up each of these doorways it's like what can we put together that i've got it home depot or menards or you know you build these little rigs and then i don't want to throw them away so <laughs> you wind up with a right. little warehouse right so you made sort of a self-deprecating comment earlier about being a businessman what uh what role do you think that plays in what you do like i'm trying to read between the lines here it sounds like maybe you feel like you don't always ask for the compensation, like you don't get compensation to offset the expense of the gear. There are times that's probably not one of my strong personalities uh, traits that we talked about earlier. But do you it, think it's I'm I'm I see myself in the service business. I'm in the client service business, yeah. and I want to meet their needs, and I try to keep it simple for everyone. And so, yeah, so I probably err to the side of eating things within reason yeah but to to just pull it off and make it easier for them instead of getting into you know there obviously there's times where it's like well okay if we want to do that we are going to need x and that means we're going to need y and that means we're going to need a generator for that and that's it and either they have the budget for it or they don't you know but there are times that i the stuff I've accumulated isn't so much uh, what you'd find in a typical lighting catalog. It's things yeah. I've kind of jimmy-rigged over the years, and, oh, this was a clever little thing. Like, yeah. you saw my 
wall of light bulbs, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's incandescent bulbs, there's LED bulbs, there's, you know, but they're all for little fixtures that, you know, we've made up and because that's a $20 solution to what somebody else would make a $600 solution. A camera person that I worked with years ago said, you never describe it that way. It's custom. It's custom. <laughs> it's a, you built a custom yes. rig. Yes. And I spent a lot of time doing it. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I, I, I see this actually department to department to department. There's a similar story that plays out. I think it may be worse than G&E, but I see it. Technicians, freelancers, day players, they invest money in solutions that make people's problems go away. Yes. And, and, it, can, and it can start with their, because I know this is how I'm wired. It's like, look, I'm just trying to make my day easier. Right. You know, it's like the more efficient I can make my pile of junk and get me moving around. So that's kind of where that starts from. Yeah. Yeah. And But what it sort of turns into is that, you know, the $2,000 toy or whatever it is that you, you, you want to see it work rather than sit on the shelf. And so even if sometimes people will bring stuff uh, just to help the project, even though it's not really in the budget or anything. And I, you know, it's complex because I think that at some level it is very helpful when people do that. But also when everybody does that across the board, it just sort of erodes the, um, you know, it, the finances. It, it, of it's, it's self-defeating. It's, it's truly, yeah, it's truly an issue. It's, do you, you have know. any advice or wisdom to share about that? Don't buy gear. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't go down that road because it's a slippery slope. But it's it's you know I I think it's one thing. And again, I maybe that's why like I reference my stuff as is is a toolbox. You know, yeah. If you're an AC, and it's like you know, and production doesn't want to pay for the camera cart. You know, like I know on the big jobs. They'll pay. That's part of what's expected, you know. Right. But they're the AC's going out on a smaller thing, and it's like, well, I know they're not going to give me the fifty dollars for the cart, but it's like, I'm not going to carry it in <laughs> Trader Joe bags. It's right. Like, you know, this is this is my workstation. <laughs> you can bring a grocery cart. <laughs> yeah. You know, here we go. Looking pretty professional today, yeah. huh? It probably worked. <laughs> you might be on to something. Yeah. There's that nice yeah. little shelf and the coffee holder <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> bring kids with you in yeah, that yeah. Front part. yeah <laughs> so so it, you know it's definitely a fine line and, and you know and i and i do tell you know some of the younger guys i mean it's like oh you know we want to get this we want to get that and it's like truly be careful because it it you know i get there's some things you want to have that you can use every day or on your little side projects or whatever but no matter what the department, at some point it starts adding up and it's not the adding up or that I paid whatever for it. As you uh, To go back to the warehouse here, you got to store it at some point. Right. And at some and point you blow money. out of your garage. Yeah. And it costs money. And that's, and that's money that nobody's paying for. That's, 
that's well, not an you're in- paying for it. right you know but <laughs> but that's not an income generator by any fashion that's why right it's like if you live anywhere where you can easily rent it's like set up the account and rent because every day is different every day has you know i mean there's some things that you're going to use every yeah. day but camera department you know especially the cameras change every six weeks and, <laughs> right oh we must have the latest red you know we you know how do you how do you buy a camera these days yeah and i think you know speaking about owning versus renting i think that uh an advantage of renting is that you spec a project based on what it needs versus what you have yes um you know that you ha- you have no no bias pushing you a certain direction other than just whatever you you think is the right tool for the for the job but obviously you pay for that privilege just like owning a car versus leasing a car you know you you have if you lease a car i guess you have more freedom to change what you're driving more frequently but you're going to pay a premium for that also yeah and to take that full circle that was how i kind of started acquiring gear because i started doing as i started gaffing more and moving away from gripping um you know i did the reality it's like well if i get a call for a one-day job and i'm gonna pick up a truck downtown or build a truck downtown you know specific to that well i've got to do the pickup day and i got to do the return day so now i've got three days invested in what in theory the client's only paying for a one-day job Unless you can get them to pay you, unless for those so you days. could, you know, and but again, in my small, you know, when I went freelance, it was primarily corporate jobs, um, and you know, they, that wasn't in their spectrum at all. They wanted some, yeah. you know, you're coming out, you're doing this interview, and we're going to get B-roll of the office workers and you know and then go away you know it's one day so so prep and wrap days though can you you talk a little bit about that um it's basically you know unpaid time again you know a a larger commercial in theory you know you're getting a prep day or a scout day or you're incorporating the two you know there are sometimes on on commercials where i'm on the scout and then I've got a guy at the rental place downtown, you know, the large shop, SNA, you know, fulfilling an order. It's like I'm calling stuff in. It's like even if we're starting out with my truck, and that's how I'll typically deal with a three or five ton, I start with mine as a foundation. I see. Again, it's my toolbox. I know what I got. And then, all right, we're going to need a couple big lights. We're going to, you know, maybe use a small generator and we can decide on, is that another cargo van? Is that somebody, something somebody throws in their Suburban? Or do we get a box truck with a lift gate so we can put the Jenny on? Right. A couple of 4Ks, you know, the generator, high boy, you know, but we can do the list to, to detail as to what our specific needs are. So sometimes I'll be on location and just, calling it in all right add this add this add this and we make it happen note to producers always do the scout day several days before the shoot don't (laughs) do it the day before my experience is that some productions 
can afford to pay for uh you know your prep day at least your prep day um some can't um some people i think do you find yourself building prep time into your day rate at some level like or do, are you just eating that i i just eat it okay you know, i mean as as a good businessman i should but the reality is i just eat it you know for example today um i'm prepping both of these jobs we're gonna do this week um you know the one truck is built but there's you know a few little things i gotta throw on and we're still waiting for an email to, to make a decision on a backdrop and you know so some last minute items and then we'll get the second one you know that's half set up now we'll finish that and uh but you just weigh that into the day but hopefully you have one of these unpaid buffer days to do it yeah. as opposed to back to back if, yeah if i had a shoot today and then we had to deal with the extra stuff for this week i may be less likely to tell the client oh yes we can take care of that you know let me make a call and it's like at some time at some point you just run out of time and it always hurts to have to as a freelancer to have to say no i can't help you on this one do you bill separately for your time and for your gear yeah it's usually okay. on one invoice or some clients one invoice but different line but items. yeah it's all different line items yeah there's a day rate and then there's you know equipment rate and uh you know at some level whether or not you're billing for the time or not, you're finding a way to make a living, you know. So the the days that you're billing for must be billing enough that that it's keeping you your that's, above water. Yeah, that's the theory. I'm yeah. kind of like the big picture guy at the yeah. end of the year. You know, did we make it or was it a yeah. oh crap? You know. Yeah. Um. And and it's you know, is your I'm, margin? I'm here. I'm here. I'm surviving. But I, you know, I don't have the vacation home and the big boat or any of that right. baloney. But I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I put a roof over my head. I obviously eat fairly well, um, and and you know, doing what I love to do, make pictures and tell stories. So, do you find that you're making most of your money on the labor or on the gear, or is it about even? Or it's. Uh, I try to live my life based on the labor. And I treat, again, I know a lot of other gaffers that made a great living off the gear and treating it as a rental house. Yeah, I've always looked at the gear is, will that make me more desirable to the client? Yeah. If I'm less drama to them, if, if they call me, and I just say, all right, what are we up to? And it's turnkey, as opposed to guys that don't own gear that do have to, like, all right, do I have to ask for that prep day? And we are right. going to go to the rental house. And now you as the client are, you know, you're going to have to deal with the rental house and set your insurance account up there, and you're going to have to write a second check to them. Some clients are fine with that. Some like to work that. Some like so you see it as a competitive advantage to make it easy it makes you it easier to hire you because it's less work for them that's kind of how i look at it 
and yeah. it makes it easier for me because I don't have to then wrestle or usually wrestle with those questions. You know, when the job is stepping up to be something bigger, I know it, they know it, and we're already talking about, you know, all right, somebody's going to have to go pick up the second truck and da 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 and we start working that out. But again, most of my work is able to be contained, again, because of my client base. If I pursued different clients, it'd be another story, but are in the world where a one-ton generally works to cover their needs. Gotcha. And, you know, so that's, and I'm kind of known as that guy, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you need a smaller package. This is the guy to call. And you're, you're sort of the, um, the Swiss army knife guy. I like that. Uh, I like that analogy. Yeah. Yes. So you, you, pe- people working at a, uh, uh, on projects of a certain profile and scale, they know that like if we bring Mark in, like he's just going to be able to take care of everything, and it's going to be no fuss. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, in in a lot of things I've I've kind of built in the truck, I'm always I'm always aware of the techniques that even the like the largest shoots use. Yeah. But when you distill it down, it's uh, the craft that we're providing is lighting control. You're adding light, you're subtracting light, um, you're balancing ratios. This is the essence of what we do. Yeah. And and so I'm always looking for smaller, more efficient ways to do that. So for an example, you know, everyone, you know, standard on a larger truck, it's like, well, you'll have a whole cart full of four by four floppies and you know diffusion it's like i can't fit that in the van you know you might need eight of them my solution is it's like i'm using like roll up fabrics on a rod that i can clip and it's on one stand yeah Mm -hmm. and and so i've got diffusion i've got bounces but they roll up and they're in a little thing on the cart and now i'm carrying eight of them in a fraction of the space that it would carry, you know, that you'd take to one. And now, you know, there's some guys that like to tease me. It's kind of hobo looking or whatever. Hmm. But the bottom line is, you know, did we need to put negative fill here? Well, uh, I got that up in 30 seconds. There was no on the walkie to the second guy in the truck to run it, pass it to the runner, to bring it into the house, to whatever. It's, you know... So I'm still working with those, but I'm trying to find lightweight solutions. And that's kind of what's become my little niche. There are other guys that run one tons and they'll still try to run it as a miniature three ton and have, we, we all have what works for us, I guess. Yeah. So it's interesting. I asked you earlier, what it, what are some of the things that are helpful to be successful uh, you know, and what you do. And maybe it struck me that when I asked you that, it took, you know, you had to think about that for a bit. But in observation, you know, it kind of goes back, one of the first things that you did was camera repairmen, right? Mm. Fixing Minolta cameras. Yes, yes. And uh, you have to know how to work with physical materials to fix a film camera. And uh, it, it, it sounds like part of what you do is that you are a sort of lifelong innovator and that you're always looking for ways to troubleshoot physical problems. How can I make this 
uh, rig smaller, faster, lighter. Exactly. And for the kind of work certainly that you're doing, but I think across the board in G&E world, just knowing how to make things physically work correctly and without fuss, uh, s smoothly, quickly. Safely. Safely, yeah, absolutely. Those are super important. This is very true. This is This is very true. And I think it's really likely that you have skills that you take for granted that actually not that many people have. And you've probably experienced that when you've hired people onto your shoots. You've realized that there yes. are... Yes. <laughs> some, some, some folks get it a little more than others, but, you know, yeah, every, everyone's got their strength set. But, yeah, some people see it, some people don't. There's a great amount of puzzle solving. Yeah. In, involved you know i'm a i'm a teacher so i see all kinds of different uh propensities or 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 what what have you mindsets um sensibilities that's the word i'm looking for but you know some people are like a monitor and a screwdriver in the same case it's just fine i'm yeah. like that is not just fine <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, that's one example. But uh, there are many, you know, I uh, one of my friends who's a, who works as a grip, uh, he sometimes on his social media will post pictures of, um, of grip equipment, like a C-stand with all the knuckles aligned, like so everything's in this tidy, perfect row. And, and then he showed another picture of one, he's like, if you would do this, I don't think I could work with you. They're all... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a, a little touch of OCD, I think, is not a bad thing to have. In oh. this, in, <laughs> well, and in there's this so world. many widgets to keep track of, and and that's that is part of it. I mentioned like running inventory through the day. Yeah, and that's and and that's it's like well, if it's and and I try not to be, you know, my guys tease me a lot because I'm always you know changing the tubs and you know whatever whatever and i try not to be overly like oh everything's got a velveteen cut out and must go in there <laughs> right but i try to do a big picture it's like well this goes with this so let's make a little bag the clamps can go in here and that can live in here and then yeah you know when we need to break off and do that you know i, I try to find the logic in my mayhem yeah <laughs> yeah so how would you say that uh, your world, you know, the as far as being grip and gaffer world, how is it the same? How is it different than it was back then? One of the things that I've seen change, or in cycles, and this kind of goes back to the equipment thing. You know, are you renting equipment? or? I've seen these cycles where... All the camera guys buy their own lights all of a sudden. Oh. Things get smaller. Well, we don't need a gaffer. Or or we we want a gaffer but to come work with our lights. Right. And I've seen that cycle like multiple times, and that's one of the reasons. It's like I never went crazy and started buying five tons and building all that up because it's like all of a sudden, oh, we're trying to do this as small as possible. Then all of a sudden, you know, the quality comes back. We start wanting more, or that's where they'd be 
just working on their own without a gaffer or we'll just hire a grip to help pump the stuff around but you know then they maybe want a little more nuanced light you know so we go through the cycle again oh i guess i don't have that maybe we should get a grip truck so you start riding that wave again you know there was a time where i had a three-ton box truck and um then things started getting smaller and smaller again i was doing jobs out of my honda crv with a little run kit okay and we you know and there was like a year where i did more jobs out of the honda than the three ton it's like that went that's part of why i have two vans that i can run out because when i that's when i started getting storage when i got rid of the big truck and went back to a one-ton van yes the the cycles of production you know you, there's just waves and then all of a sudden it's like you're in need again yeah uh you know the dslr movement yeah it's like all of a sudden it's like well everyone's got one there's you know 400 new production companies we're all making business you know i saw everything on philip bloom i got it nailed i can do this right and then you know their clients start wanting more and we, you know and if they haven't been if they haven't been through the system and learned the different crafts and the nuances they're only going to go so far i mean we all have vision we all know what we like yeah what feels good to us what looks good but if you haven't learned the craft you can't necessarily execute that yeah or you don't know why you're executing it and then that's when you know the craftsmen come back in favor and so that's when the gaffers get busy again and it's like oh yeah we need oh and there's a reason why you have a team there's a reason why you bring all this junk with you i can't just do it with a one by led panel (laughs) you know so you go through these waves and yeah so i'm just trying to surf them you know as best i can but in some ways what you're saying is the more the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like things go this way and that, but it seems like they gravitate back to a common center there's, at some point. There's a yeah, there's there's a reason, you know, that this was sort of like the baseline for years and we're gonna try this, we're gonna try this, we're gonna try it. but you know, there's there's a reason things are done certain ways. Yeah. And and it, it I guess that's the other part that I hear heard you say is that uh, there's there's a core competency or a, a, a core skill set that that maybe stays through all these changes. You know, the, the the physical tools might change, but you know, understanding what the visual is and how to get there and how to achieve that, like that's why that's why they're bringing you on. You know. Yes. Uh, you know, way back in the day when desktop publishing became a thing, people all thought oh well i'll just you know hire my secretary to publish the newsletter or whatever and you know it's been a long time since since that happened and and i think now everybody realizes oh just because i can afford the adobe suite doesn't mean that i'm you know designing magazines yeah uh just because the tools change and just because a person in this department or that department can afford to buy this thing or that thing you still need an, a person who's really experienced in a particular area who can just come in and get the results you're looking for. Yeah? I, I still do 
uh, some still photography, and it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, we'll have Bob from the mailroom. He's got a camera. He can shoot the, <laughs> right. you know. And then at some point, you know, they realize there is a difference from yeah. coming in and doing a proper portrait or reportage or what, you know, that those are crafts and skill sets. And, yeah. you know, so they go in and out of favor. And Well, tools change and change and change, but skill doesn't. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I teach a lighting class and... It's not the first assignment that I do, because I think that would be too obvious. But usually right about halfway through the semester, I give an available light assignment after they've worked with lights a fair amount. And I say, you've learned this and this and this and this about how to do something in the studio. But just go and look around you. You're going to find all those things. And... uh and it's always sort of like this eureka moment. I think it's one of the favorite assignments in the class because they're suddenly seeing with new eyes. Yes, yes. And like it just seems too easy to think that you could go out and accomplish, you know. The, and the truth is, if you're shooting a movie, it's difficult to use all existing light because it's, you know, time of day, time of day changing and... You want to set it in this location with these angles, but that that doesn't work with the light that you want. So you're going to, you know, I'm not trying to make an advertisement that existing light is all you need. But once you know light, you can find it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this is where it becomes part of the discussion as well. If you're brought in in time and it's like, all right, well, what do we like about this location? Oh, you like this? Okay. Well, you know, is there any way... We're only, you know, you're only going to have this quality of light for two hours every day, but is there any reason we can't come back for three days at this window and finish this scene right. here with minimal fuss? And then we're on, you know, whatever set, but we know at two o'clock we're going back to this room right. to continue on. You know, and at least it's part of the discussion. This is one solution. Or, you know, do we pull out the bucks and we tent the building right. and we you know hang the ultra bounces and we have the two 18ks doing the thing yeah then we can shoot for sure we can yeah. shoot for three days there if you want all yeah. day and night and, and and so it's that you know what do you have do you have money do you have time do you yeah. have vision and and where's the balance it's you know it's always somewhere in between in my world, money's usually not uh, like the number one thing. Sure, whatever you need, tent it out. You know, bring in the condors. Right. Uh, you know, so it's like, well, how about we do this? You know, maybe, we, you know, yeah, turn out the lights and open these windows. Yeah, and close those. And I recently shot a project for the first time with practical moonlight. And uh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. It, it was amazing. Full moon, and we used. Uh, some quasar tubes in addition to the moon so the the moonlight was the like the base and then we used quasar tubes at three percent just for some rim just to kind of shape and yeah. augment and uh it was so dark that when i looked up from the monitor to the talent i couldn't even see the talent in front of the camera <laughs> and like i've never had a filming experience like that but you know as i see things change and especially hearing you tell your story the stories that you've told about how things have changed, 
I, I think that that gaffer in that moment, he felt like he was seeing handwriting on the wall for nobody needing a gaffer. And I don't think that's true because this moonlight shoot that I was talking about, my most important resource on that shoot was my gaffer, I think. Totally. I totally agree. <laughs> and and this is where this is where I feel like all the years every everything I've been working for is coming together now. This like yeah. switch to LEDs and all this. And I talked about the, you know, whatever the oxymoronic statement, uh, documentary gaffer. I use that yeah. title a lot. I see like my value as to coming in and finding out how do we work with the space that's here? And this goes back to all the low budget corporate stuff. It's like, I can't, you know, that's just not our world. We're not coming in. We're not changing all the street lights or we're not changing all the factory lights or, whatever. you know, this is what it is. And, 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 you know, 90% of what I'm being asked to do is to capture, you know, what realism is, you know, whether it's an office, so warehouse a, a workshop or you know whatever this is what it is and and you have certain license to sass things up maybe but it's it's about working with what's there and i referenced um so for the last 10 years we've done a pbs series called craft in america hmm. and we do like two episodes a year and it's it's wonderful we're in the workshops and spaces of these pretty major craft artists you know all around the country and you know we walk in sight unseen we gotta make something interesting yet not change reality much and you know we'll be spending a day with them you know doing whatever so whether it's working with practical lamps and like i say let's well, let's open the windows maybe turn the overheads off you don't want to change reality too much but it's like how do we, it's, you know, it's about shaping, it's about contrast control, it's about, you know, and what's the poetry of the, you know, where's the camera going to move and how's the light going to hit them, but you're still, you know, we don't have much time, you got to, so that's where I feel like my focus has been, and now with the faster cameras, I feel like that's all in play, and I've never been that guy to say, Oh my God, I just lost $3,000 in rentals to, you know, lighten up the buildings and because that's not been my world. My world right. is how do we walk in? How do we, how do we make this interesting or draw attention to the subject and let's do it with minimal fuss and try. And again, we're almost always in, you know, some active environment. So it's like, you don't want to disrupt others. Right. So you know, in my world, that's all as important as knowing how to change a bulb or power distribution or anything. All, all those aesthetic qualities is just as much part of the toolbox as the mechanicals. Have you gaffed uh, any, like, independent features? Yes. Okay. A, a couple, yeah. Yeah. How was that? Um it was interesting. I I enjoyed it, and it's just a different process than the documentary or interview work. 
and uh, a little more dramatic license but again you know different environments yeah. but the constraints you know again aren't much different i'm still working with the small package and maybe one guy that's mm-hmm. you know how indie they are yeah i had the pleasure of uh doing some commercials with sam levy who shot wendy and lucy you know okay so being able to do a bigger project but still with somebody that appreciated that mindset yeah it's a wonderful thing yeah so what are you shooting tomorrow i think they're motion portraits basically i don't think we're doing sound okay they're bringing in a bunch of people um i believe we're doing kind of like a white limbo there was some discussion like well uh we're just going to put up a backdrop okay it's just kind of a head and shoulders and and you know we're just going to be bringing people in and just kind of doing some rd motion portraiture and uh so i'm excited about that anybody working freelance in film you know day playing and and whatnot uh it's always about what what's next you know so it's good that you've got uh tomorrow booked it's good i got tomorrow booked and uh Next week, we head off to L.A. to work on that PBS show to oh, wow. start the next episode of that. Oh, wow. So, uh, What's the film scene in Chicago like? Uh, several TV shows going on. We've been yeah. very lucky um, to have, like, Chicago Fire and PD and the spinoffs, and that's really been keeping a lot of the community busy. Uh, yeah. Empire was shooting. I don't know if that's still on. Uh, feature wise, I'm not even sure, but I, I keep, I'll keep randomly hearing, you know, like they've been in town for three weeks and, you know, somebody mentions or, you know, they took over some small town. So there's, there's things going on. It's keeping people busy. Are there sound stages? There are. Okay. Um, cause they're like, what's the winter like here? Uh, cold. <laughs> yeah, does, does it snow a lot? Yeah, it, it, it can, but there's, um. SNA Studios, which I think I mentioned, they're a big rental house, but they also have two wonderful stages. I kind of call it Little Hollywood, but that's probably not even a reference because now Cine Space is where they do the TV shows at, and um, that's a much larger collection of stage buildings. That's where the the TV shows kind of seem to hang out there. I see. And the locations, everyone seems to love Chicago. It's got a great variety of neighborhoods. And and I know there was another picture being done in some of the small towns that are even further west of me. We drove through one weekend, and they had the Main Street all re-signed and painted up for oh, a period thing. And okay. So we still have those locations that are yeah. all still nearby so in the winter time is most of it stage work or location it's, it's still very it still mixed yeah i i once did and I, god bless them how they sold this we did a cell phone commercial for a company out of san diego on a weekend here where we had like four feet of snow Whoa. the guy was supposed to be riding his motorcycle it was just in, in <laughs> insanity and uh <laughs> I don't know how much of that they were able to use, but yeah, you know, there's there's things going on. We all carry like snowsuits in our in our trucks and boots and ready to hunker down because you just right, you know, you don't know what's going to happen or you know if you got to put some lights outside. And well, the film industry, you, you spend so much time outside. 
I, I'm sure there are many professions that are that way, but I, you know, every time I'm on a shoot, like you just forget what it's like to be outside all the time. Yeah. And it's like, if it's more than 10 degrees away from, you know, 70 degrees, you notice it after the more, when hours build up, (laughs) the weather takes a stronger impact on you over time. There's a show we do for velocity and we've been starting like in April. Yeah. And it's kind of the joke that, sometime during the first week of production we'll still get a splash of snow icy rain you know something like that yeah and then you know within weeks you know you're over 90 then you'll have some of these 100 degree days and we're basically outside and in garages you know open garages all the time and so we see that whole weather spectrum go as we shoot through the summer right and uh you know, so you have at least one or two nice days in there, I would right, hope. Right, right. There, there, there's a couple, and uh, a couple of the garages might be air-conditioned or heated, depending right. on the time right. of year. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, just being open to the elements and, you know, oh, here comes the rainstorm again. And What's the um, cost of living like here? Hard to say. It's, you know, I'm always been curious about, like, you know, doing the California move or something. Yeah. I've well, Never a, would, but what's a middle class house cost here? I would say, on the low end, at least two fifty. Okay. I mean, there's probably less. There's definitely more. Yeah. There's the the McMansions. Sure. It's it's quite a spread. It's a range. Yeah. It's, what's it's, traffic like? Uh, I find it pretty hectic. Yeah. Unless you're leaving early in the morning. That yeah. is the one good thing about early calls is you try to miss some of it. Um, so there there are times of day when it's not too heavy? If you're going into the city, no. I mean, if you go early, yeah, you're okay. But then it's some variation of rush hour all day long until, you know, maybe 7 oh, o'clock wow. at night. Okay. Um, and you'll still hit pockets. It's like, why are we stopped? you know yeah and then it'll break up and go but that's if you're working in the city and again i've been very lucky that i kind of hub out from where i'm at right so you know there'll be times when i'm working in the city and that's its own thing but you know a lot of other projects were hubbing out uh i also fly a lot so I'm, okay on the road maybe a quarter of the year so you're going you're going to be working a project in la yes how long will you be out there for? Um, that's three days of shooting and okay. two travel days. Okay. So kind of a quick in and out. Yeah, and then, so five or six days away. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes we're, you know, gone as many as 14, 15. So you must rent gear locally when you do that? For for that PBS project, we do bring our own. We just, oh, really? You know, we you travel of 26, 28 bags. Oh, wow. Between camera, lighting, and whatever. Wow, okay. There's three or four of us that fly out of Chicago. Um, so you each have like six or seven Yeah, kind of divvied up between, you know, camera and lighting. We take up most of it, and the sound guys, you know, yeah. usually one or two. And, gotcha. Um, but we go to enough offbeat places that we like to just be self-contained. And even though it's a, even with 28 cases, it's still a limited package, but we know exactly what we have and what we can do. And we do everything from 
tabletop setups to, you know, the formal interviews and um, we need to be ready for an occasional outside, you know, exterior interview. We're not largest light we're carrying is an 800 joker. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like a catch light at best and, you know, sun, but we can, you know, I can put up an eight by overhead and make it fairly safe yet still I'm not traveling with any heavy stands. It's all kind of a special improvised package. I see. Custom. Custom. <laughs> but it's all living yeah. in there packed and ready for the next phone call. Yeah. Hmm. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, your your prep day here, <laughs> and sharing. It's been fantastic. Well, thanks. I had a great time. It's it's great to get to meet you, and I hope your viewers get to hear about uh, your mobile recording studio here. <laughs> I hope you do an episode just on that. Oh, so. yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, David. I really enjoyed the conversation that Mark and I had, and I came away from it definitely feeling like he would be a great asset on any project I was uh, wanting to work on. One of the things that I think we don't always talk about that much, but is definitely true, is one of the things that oftentimes differentiates members of a crew or potential members of a crew is just sort of the, the feeling that you get or the vibe that you get being around people. And uh, Mark just seems like an awesome guy to have around. I think you probably get that sense from the interview that we did. Yeah, just a super nice guy, super helpful, really willing to do anything to uh, help make the show better. And really kind of tirelessly devoted to finding ways to make things quicker and easier and better on set, which is always a welcome thing. So that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed. We'll see you again next time on Pictures Up.